We had this exact same gospel reading about a week and a half ago for daily mass. And after mass, I was back in the sacristy and a, a gentleman who was visiting the parish came back and said, Father, I want to tell you something, my experience with this story. And I said, okay. He said, I was teaching PSR at another parish and I wanted the students to hear this story in the way Jesus' Jesus's audience expected to hear this story, the way it was told originally over 2,000 years ago. It was told as a warning for the ungrateful and it went something like this. The younger son asks for his share of the inheritance, a request of his father, which basically means you're worth more to me dead than alive. And then he goes off and blows everything through impu imprudent and self-serving living. All this that the father had spent so many years building up, he blows. And then he comes back wanting to be taken care of again. In this original version of the story, the father turns from the son declaring that he is dead to him, just like he was dead to his son before and leaves him begging in the gutter to face the consequences of his action. And the moral of the story is, don't be a jerk, because then people are going to be a jerk to you, and you probably deserve it. The problem, the man in the sacristy said to me, is that the kids really like that version a lot better. So the boy got what he deserved. He was unbelievably cruel to his father and the father is just exacting his righteous revenge. He treated his father as though he was dead and he had every right to do the same thing back. And indeed that was the lesson of the original story. But that interpretation becomes scary if you understand Jesus is using this story as a parable that the Father in the story represents our Heavenly Father and all of us represents the two sons or are represented by the two sons. But Jesus twists the story to a shocking ending, love and forgiveness, as if both sons were the favored sons of the Father despite of their horrible actions. So here's Jesus' new take on the story of the two brothers. The first son has no idea how much he is loved. He's clueless, and nothing can get him to change his thinking. He only knows what he thinks will bring him happiness and how he feels. Even in being given the insulting gift of half of his future inheritance, he doesn't realize how much the father loves him in giving that to him. And then he goes away to fulfill what he wants and to follow his feelings. When his possessions fail him and his wants are no longer being fulfilled, and he sees the folly of allowing his feelings to control him, and he finds himself among the pigs, an animal, by the way, that the Jews considered impure, and he wanted to eat the food that was be given to this lowly, lowliest of animals. And he is starving and in rags and alone, about as low as he can possibly get. He's hit bottom. The gospel says, finally, he comes to his senses. He is no longer living in a delusion. He understands truth. He sees reality. And he also understands that he deserves punishment for the horrible way that he treated his father. He now realizes how much and how deeply he was loved. Even the slaves who were, were being treated better 
on his father's property. They had plenty to eat, right? He would be far better off being a slave on his father's farm than where he was now. So in this version of the story, the father, instead of being repulsed or angry at the sudden reappearance of his son, catches sight of him, of him far off in the distance, right? As if he had been watching and waiting and hoping for his son to return. And then he runs to him, something extremely undignified for him to do, but he didn't care. Such was his love for his son. And when they come together and embrace, the son begins the speech that he had prepared. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son, but the father cuts him off. It was enough. He orders a fine robe as befitting the son of the owner of the farm to be put on him. He has the ring of authority placed on his finger. He gives them the dig dignity of having sandals on his feet. And then he orders a celebration to begin in his honor. Really, this self-centered, mean-spirited, thoughtless son decides to come home and beg for more when it suits him, and we're all supposed to be happy about it. That seems absurd, as is, as, as is exemplified by the older brother and like those PSR students. The older brother, too, devises a plan to guilt his father into giving him what he wants. He refuses to celebrate anything with that other son of his father. And when the father comes out to reason with them, he blames his father for his unhappiness. He refuses to recognize everything that the father gives him every day, that love that he shows him at all times. And he uses the occasion to exaggerate the story of the younger son, to guilt his father into giving him something to share not in appreciation with the father who provides it, but so that he can take it and go celebrate with his friends. The father attempts to coach the son back into the warmth of the family, but we don't get to hear what actually happened. We're kind of left hanging on a hook. I hope he went back in. Perhaps a better title for this story than the prodigal son might be the insensitive sons or the forgiving father. It might be tempting to think of the father as a bit of a sap. It is the kind of action where a friend might be inclined to give the advice, if you keep giving in to your sons like that, they're never going to learn their lesson. They're just going to keep taking and taking from you until you have nothing left to give. And to a certain extent, in certain situations, this may be true, but this is not a human story any longer. This is a parable about the divine father. And we, as the wayward sons, it's sin that always, always, always is about being more concerned with ourselves, our wants, our desires, and our feelings, even as they lead us into poverty. We don't actually have to get up and go anywhere. Our hearts can just go, go up and go somewhere away from the Father. And what a terrible message that is to give to any father. You're not that important to me. Yet our Heavenly Father is always on the lookout for our return. Even the desire to seek forgiveness is itself his gift to us. And we come back, even after being away for a long time and steeped in sin,
We step into the confession and the Father is already welcoming, embracing, fetching the robe and the ring and the sandals and preparing the fatted calf such as his love for you. Any sin, no matter the size or the depth or the repetitiveness, can outstrip his love. No hardness of heart can be greater than his desire for you. No distance that you have established can keep him from remaining at vigil, watching for your return. So loved are you, even if you don't realize it. This is the vision that Jesus has for his church, that we realized how loved that we truly are, to be assured of the great and lavish mercy that the Father has in store for us, so much so that it is unreasonable, almost undignified, so much does he desire you, that we come to know our true dignity and our worth, that we are truly sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, that you are a wanted, appreciated, welcome, and always invited back home. As I said at the beginning of the Mass, this color means that we're halfway through the Lenten season and almost up to Easter. Time is running out for confessions if you want to hear them here. And I know that there's already that are a couple that are normally on the schedule that will no longer, that won't be on the schedule coming up. We've got a second grade retreat coming up and we've got uh, the Bishop's Day in which Father Anthony and I will have to spend with the Bishop on a Tuesday night. So please look at the bulletin, plan prudently, and I hope to see you in the Sacrament of Confession.